This episode is thanks to Bougie Smile. What's better than getting your teeth widened? Well, getting your teeth widened while listening to R&B and hip-hop music. It's Left of Field with Danny Kavanagh. Hello, Left of Field listeners. Now, my next guest, if you say the name Dean Margetts and footy fans will automatically recognise who he is, a bloke who's been umpiring at the top level for nearly two decades. Now, Fremantle Dockers supporters uh, do like to blame Dean for never giving their side enough free kicks and being a secret West Coast Eagles supporter, but he puts all those rumours to bed and chats about his wonderful career. So let's get into it. Dean Margetts, welcome to the Left of Field podcast. How are you going today? Very good, thank you. Left of Field, that's probably my personality summed up in one, so I think it's an appropriate um, heading for your show, Daniel. I think it embodies a lot of people. There's more to us than uh, meets the eye. Congratulations is where we're going to start on a wonderful career umpiring. You did 19 years, 377 games. Uh, How does it feel ending that kind of part of your career? Still doesn't feel real at the moment, to be honest. I, I, it's yeah, it's going to be, like I say, 20 years of your life doing what I've done. It, you almost become so routine and so institutionalised to what you become accustomed to. So I'll need a bit of time to obviously reset the compass a bit. But I think once the season's over and it's all off TV, that'll allow some time to do some different things. And then hopefully next season in 2022, it'll just look a bit different for me. Big last game for you. Eagles, Dockers, always a lot of controversy with the fans. How was umpiring your last match? Yeah, it was, a, it was a mixture of emotions. Obviously, you know, a bit of sadness, um, a lot of times to reflect on a long period of time. I guess, you know, if you're going to go out for well, a Western Derby, you know, in front of 50,000 people in a, in a COVID uncertain world, Danielle, where, um, you know, some people get to do games in front of nobody, you know, celebrate milestones in front of nobody. I had heaps of family and friends there and I got to umpire a really good game you know, in front of a lot of people and two clubs that I've obviously built some really strong professional relationships with over a long period of time as well. Yes, you have. Haven't always been a fan favourite of the Freeman Duckers supporters. <laughs> they don't think you give them enough free kicks. Tell me, how has that relationship been over your career? It's an interesting one. I, I think it's the same with any club though, isn't it? I mean, you know, whoever you're umpire, I don't think people tend to err on the side of the people in green or white blue, which we were in the derby. You know, there was, there's been a lot of myths perpetuated over a long period of time that my Eagles supporter and my wife worked at the Eagles and I've got a car parking bay at Lathlane Park and these things just develop over time. But no one's ever considered to actually ring the club and see if these people actually work there or in fact... It's true. So, but I guess don't let the truth get in the way of the good story. So, yeah, I can certainly say that you know I don't barrack for the West Coast Eagles, and my wife doesn't work at the West Coast Eagles front desk, and I don't have a parking bay there either. But what I will say is, I'm like I said before, I've built some really strong um, relationships with Freo and West Coast. You know, coaches, administrators, players, and what people forget, I think, is people like you know David Mundy and Shannon Hearn, two of the elder statesmen at both clubs. I've umpired these guys for their whole careers. I've umpired these guys when they walked in the club when they're 18 years of age. Now in their mid-30s, I've been part of their whole journey. So it's those stories which I would prefer people would focus on than maybe the other stuff, that, which is a bit of a nonsense, to be honest. Did it ever get to you? Obviously, you've got a thick skin and you can take a lot, but did it ever get to you in the end? Yeah, I think towards the end it did a little bit. It wears you down at times. When you knew the end was coming closer and people were still giving it to you, you kind of like, just sort of wish, you know, I'm a normal person, you know, I've 
been able to compete at the highest level for 20 years. Now I understand um, you know, I've been the face of umpiring in Perth for a long period of time and I put myself out there and, and I accept that. But I think sometimes you know the stuff that you get on your phone and social media after games and during games can be a bit over the top and it sort of steps over the, the border of sport and then also your personal world, which become a bit difficult. And I think it was my second last game down here where I was doing the Frio Brisbane game and I spent a lot of the time on the boundary line just the way the game was being played and I could almost hear every comment coming my way. Like it was almost like the crowd went quiet and I could hear... You know, a 10-year-old kid saying something or a 40-year-old woman saying something or a 50-year-old guy saying something. It was almost like it became very clear for me. Now, whether that was my subconscious slowly checking me out of the game, I don't know, but it was just a bit weird that last couple of weeks with that, yeah. Yeah, what was some of the worst things that you got sent or got told? Oh, I mean, yeah, I don't want, to have to, I don't want you to use your dump button on me, but, I mean, some of it was... I had, I had death threats left in my mailbox, you know, we're going to damage your car, we know where you live and... We know you've got two dogs and you know, they'll be lucky to be walking tomorrow. All this sort of stuff, you know. And next time you're off the stadium, we're going to glass you from the grandstand. And that's some of the stuff that I got. Um, but it's just a constant barrage, you know. People forget that. We're just normal people, you know. We've we, we got families, we pay bills, we live in the normal world. And just because we wear green and we have to officiate, like, you know, guys playing footy, that doesn't mean we're any different. We're not robots. So I just reckon some of those things sort of cross the line a bit. And occasionally when I replied to some, Danielle, people would come back to me and go, oh, I, I didn't think you'd reply or I, I didn't think you are even sort of real. Like they become shocked that you even have a response for them. So I think sometimes, and I'm, I'm, you know, I've done a lot of sportsman's nights and spoke at certain places and I've actually put up a, a few slideshows of all the things I've got over the years and I think people are actually shocked at what they read, to be honest, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy to think that over a game, you know, death threats and that can come out yeah, of it. It's yeah. just taking to a well, whole new level. Yeah. I mean, I think I think you remember probably a couple of months ago, Oscar Allen received some pretty nasty comments and it made the back page of the paper. Some bloke, you know, he dropped a mark or missed a goal and he sort of made the made the comment, oh, I wish he'd break his neck because he cost me some money in a multi or something. And that made back page headlines of the West and probably rightly so, but I get that stuff every week, sometimes 10, 15 times. So, you know, for every player that gets one or two, you know, the umpires tend to get, you know, you know, quadruple that, you know, weekly. So that gives you some perspective on, on the, the stuff that the umpire has to deal with, yeah. Yeah, and it's not just on the field. I even saw that you had a change.org there was a, about, you know, getting you to stop umpiring for your game. So it's coming yeah. from left, yeah. right and centre. You had it for your whole yeah. career. Yeah, no, it is. I mean, that sort of stuff, again, I mean, the fact that people have enough time and energy to want to go and do that stuff sort of really surprises me. I remember when I used to be a kid, go watch the footy, you'd boo the umpire and, no, you blame them for the team, but then you get in the car and you go off and never think about it again. But these days, with just that anonymity of um, social media, you can just go and create these fake pages and put pretty much whatever you want out there. And there's no recourse for that as well, which I think is a bit sad. You know, and more of a rubber stamp on the society that we live in today, which is unfortunate. Yeah, I th- even think about it with you know when Gaff in that last game that you played, um, you know, yeah. them booing him. Could you hear that in the middle of the ground? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's quite noticeable because obviously that's regarding the um, the Andrew Brayshaw. You know, strike from a couple of years ago now, but the fact that they still carry that on. But um, you know, anyone who says you can't hear that, well, that's that's nonsense because you can. It's quite clear, wasn't it? And I guess it took a bit of pressure off me for that final game anyway from the free faithful. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And another one on that game, the the Sarong goal with the chair out of bounds. Could the field umpire overrule the boundary umpire on that one and say that it was yeah, out of bounds? Yeah, yeah. Look, if, he, if he's absolutely a hundred percent sure it's out of bounds, he could. I know on replays, you know, it looks like it's out, and it might well have been, but um, the instruction of the umpire there is, you know, you need to be 100% sure it's out. And if the boundary umpire is not in the greatest position and he, and he guesses and it's half a centimetre in, then he's a mug either way. So 
I guess in that situation, whilst it might be deemed an error, when it happens in full game speed, it is difficult to make that decision. And, and sometimes we get them right and sometimes we get them wrong. So in um, and, and that situation, it might have been wrong. But again, I guess if, you, if we call out of bounds, we might have robbed the bloke of the goal of the year, couldn't we as well? So it swings around about sometimes. Yeah, I do like the human aspect of umpiring. It's a human game, so why not have people umpiring? But on the technology side of it, do you think the technology at the moment is good enough, the reviews and everything around the game? Yeah, I think it's found its right balance. I mean, I'm not sure if you're aware, but probably 10 or so years ago in the St Kilda Geelong Grand Final, there was a really clear, obvious ball hitting the post. And I think it was at that point the AFL thought, geez, we can't have these obvious ones being missed. I think that's why the technology was brought in. I guess ultimately with so much riding on wins and losses, you know, people obviously a fair bit you know, riding on games with, you know, gambling and stuff. So I guess the right result and the integrity of the competition is important. I'm a bit with you. I think the human element and the human error is a good part of the footy. That's why we have an oval-shaped ball. I mean, it's going to bounce in a regular pattern sometimes and we've got humans making decisions. We've got players making decisions on the field. So with all that, I think it's unfortunate we've gone down that road, but I can also see the other side of it as well. Yeah, on the obviously try and limit the human error. So what do you guys do week to week as umpires to make sure that you are officiating the rules to the best of your ability? Yeah, well, obviously based in Perth. So from a field umpiring point of view, there's 34 of us uh, contracted Australia-wide and there's three of us based in Perth. So we have our coaching session every Tuesday from about 2 o'clock to about 4.30. So a good two and a half hours of revision from the previous weekend's round of games, some focus areas, some areas which we've been really good at, maintain that strength and also some areas which we've probably been a bit tardy at. So we see plenty of vision. We break up into group sessions for discussions and chats. And, you know, we, we, we coach really well. We've got access to huddles. So there's copious amounts of visions on holding the balls, you know, high tackles, dangerous tackles, all the things. So from our point of view, like we, we coach very well and have lots of opportunities to discuss things and, and reach out to our coach if we need some clarity on it. But you know, I guess at our level, you know, we're, we're quite professional and we're expected to get it right. But unfortunately, in a 360 kind of game that we have, sometimes through no lack of preparation or no lack of prep, um, education, it's just the way the game is probably just might not see the, the right free kicks all the time. So will we ever get holding the ball right, do you think? <laughs> that's an interesting one because I think what happens and what causes a lot of confusion is people who watch the game, I guess, are booing and hissing because that's how they want the game to be umpired, but that's not exactly how we've been told to umpire, if that makes sense. So with holding the ball, there's a whole range of different cues. Is the tackle legal, yes or no? Has the player had prior opportunity, yes or no? You know, Has he dived on the ball, yes or no? Has he thrown the ball, yes? So there's a whole lot of stuff we've got to be conscious of. So... But I reckon out of every 100 decisions we make, we probably get 95 of them right. And, and obviously then you've also got to understand that there's umpires like myself who's done close to 400 games and there's umpires that have done 20. So there's different skill levels of umpire as there is with players. And I think some people lose sight of that at times. In your opinion then, what rules do you like in the game and what don't you like and what would you introduce or change? Uh, I've been one of those sort of umpires where I just sort of wait to see what comes out and then I just adapt as quickly as I can. I mean, I know Steve Hocking was probably criticised quite roundly for bringing in the 666 and, and the stand rule, you know, obviously last year. And people are like, you're changing the fabric of the game. But I think sometimes people in those positions need to investigate options to keep the game healthy and fast because, you know, coaches tend to make it very defensive and sometimes a little bit boring. So you've got to almost circumvent the coach the way they're sort of um, wanting the players to play. But as far as me personally getting involved in that, I, I don't sort of worry about it too much, Daniel. It's out of my hands. I just get told that's the laws. And the quicker I adapt and learn them, the better I can be as an umpire, you know, obviously for the game as well. 
What was your least favourite rule to kind of implement then with players? Uh, yeah, probably the hands in the back rule from about seven or eight years ago where you could just, you know, irrespective of any force, get just an open hand in the middle of the player's back which deemed a free kick. And I thought that was pretty hard for players to adapt. And I guess it was a little bit hard for us to umpire because I've been through, you know, you know, the games in the early 2000s, you know, two decades of footy, so there's been lots of change in that time. That was probably the difficult one. But again, and after, you know, I think we changed that back to that three years ago because we thought that it was just gone the other way where we lost a bit of feel for the player wanting to mark the ball. But, yeah, outside of that, you know, I think the, the stand rule's been really good. I mean, you've got to commend the players also for the way they've adapted to that rule, you know. But again, we did some... 500 club visits last year in the pre-season so all the umpires go to clubs you know, every week to help them with new laws, match simulation, education so that certainly helps with the relationship building as well. Are you like me? You like to drink red wine and lots of coffee but you really want to brighten your smile? Well... Why not head to Bougie Smile? In Mount Lully, they are offering clinically proven teeth whitening treatments while you listen to hip-hop and R&B music. And in those 60 short minutes, you'll have the brightest smile with results ranging from 4 to 10 shades whiter. When I got it done, I actually improved by 8 shades whiter, so it is well worth it. And it's so simple, so fun with the R&B music. You sit in the chair and I literally was dancing. So why not give it a go? Use the code LEFTOFFIELD when booking with a bougie smile and you will get a very nice 15% discount. Brighten your teeth and drink all that red wine and coffee and not be afraid to smile. Are some teams harder to umpire than others then? Yeah, yeah, sometimes, yeah. Some teams will challenge you. Absolutely, they'll take you on and really make you have to make decisions. As we say, you know, the bottom sort of three or four teams are probably still developing, so they might not be as predictable as the, the better teams. So it does take some understanding. And, and most umpires would get their appointment on a Monday and then obviously study the teams from you know, the weekend just gone to get a feel for how they play because each, each team has their own sort of game plan. So the... If we can have an idea how they play, it certainly helps our positioning and the reading of the play um, in the weeks ahead, for sure. With the players, who gives the best lip out there? (laughs) Who gives the best lip? To be honest, and I get this question asked quite a bit, but the the players are probably as good as they've ever been. The game's so quick now. If they're turning around and having a crack at me, the umpire, then the ball's probably gone out of their zone. They're probably, you know, miles behind. So... As I say, you know, we've, we've spent a lot of time with the players over the last few years doing club visits. And I think relationships and the respect, you know, two-way is, is as good as it's ever been. Sometimes in the heat of battle, um, players will come up and have a little crack. But also, when things have settled down, they're the first to come over and apologise if they might have overset the mark. And I think that's a pretty good sign of where things are at with the players and the umpires, um, you know, in 2021 right now. And how is player-to-player sledging going? Is there some good pretty ones? Good. Yeah, you get yeah, some entertainment? Yeah, but not as, not as bad as what you think. I, I remember, I remember when Ben Cousins, I came, I umpired his return game back after all his um, um, challenges off field there, and I was sort of expecting a lot of the players to go hard at him with with stuff. But to be honest, not one player sort of mentioned anything about what had happened. So I, that to me said there's a fair bit of respect when certain players have some issues off field, whatever you know, whatever sort of those problems they might be. But there's a, that sort of unwritten rule there, and I think. Things now have settled down pretty well, and I think they know it's a tough game, it's a combative game, there's so much happening, there's so much scrutiny, so I think the playing group, all 18 clubs included, just sort of you know, this unwritten rule of just, that's the line, and we um, respect that, and uh, that's one thing I did notice, sort of, in Ben Cousins' return game. 
Now, you did play AFL growing up as a kid yourself. Yep. What made you get into umpiring? I started playing when I was seven and played right the way through till I was about 22. I didn't umpire when I was young by any stretch. I only started when I was 22. So I, it was just by chance I'd finished playing, but I still really loved the game. And I thought, well, how do I stay involved in a sport that I really love, but I just got sick of the actual, you know, the combative nature of it. And I remember being at my best friend's house and the paper on, on the counter was open, the local community paper, and it had umpires wanted. And I thought, oh, I might try that for a season, see how I go. And literally, I, I picked up the ad in 1996. I did two years at the juniors. I got put to the waffle in 98. Did the waffle grand final in 2000. And then I was probably AFL in 2002. So my ride to the top, if that's the right word, was really quick and swift. I think the fact that I was a little bit older than most probably allowed me to have a few more life skills than others. And um, yeah, I was very fortunate. And to think that I could spend almost 20 years of my life at the highest level was something that I would never have dreamed of. And do you remember that first game? Was it round five, 2002? Mm. <laughs> yeah, vividly. It was West Coast Brisbane. Obviously, you, you never forget your first one, you never forget your last one. It was round five. I remember I umpired that game in my mind every day leading up to it. And I, it was, I had the first bounce, and I remember just before I started the game, I looked to my left, and there was Chris Judd, Ben Cousins, Daniel Kerr, and Michael Gardner. I turned to my right, and there was Simon Black, Michael Voss, Jay, Jason Akimanis, and I thought, Jeez, these players are the stars of the game. And then when I look back on that game now, Danielle, there was four Brownlow medalists in that, that circle and I think a couple mm. of runner-up Brownlow medalists. So to have those sort of players in that game was special. I did the best bounce I've ever done. I never bounced the ball as good as that first one. Mm. It was a special one, went up perfectly. And, and then, like I said, I think I did 12 games in my first season, which was a great learning curve. And you know, to then get to 50 games, like 50 games, how was this? And to end up you know, doing 377, um, yeah, well, you can't write scripts like that. So I was very fortunate. Nah, sounds like a, a great introduction and obviously you can see why you got hooked. So now, hanging up the whistle, what does an, a retiring AFL umpire do? I know that you're going to hang around the waffle for a bit and help those umpires out. Yeah, well, my, my nine-to-five job is to waffle umpiring manager, so I guess I, I can now shift my full focus to you know helping and providing opportunities for the guys there. And if one or two umpires can have the same sort of journey I've had, that's a great thing. But it also allows me to sort of invest some time back into family and friends because for so long I just everything around my life was structured around footy you know when can I go on a holiday when can I start training when do I fly away whose birthday do I miss you know all these things so I guess it's now a chance to invest back there and make some more lawns and paint some more walls down now and I guess live a normal life which I haven't really lived for um, 20 years and when I say normal I mean I chose to live like that because I loved it and I, and I still always love the game but now I can just do some more fun things and maybe do some country umpiring with, with my brother down there and have some fun and give a bit give back to the game where I haven't had the chance to do so for as long as I can remember, yeah. Yeah, use some of those frequent flyer points that you've probably racked yeah. up. <laughs> yeah, I think, the, I think the Virgin shares went down when I retired, that's for sure. <laughs> I think, funny stat though, I think million kilometres in my 20 years of all my way games, that's like going around the world, I think, 25 times. So that gives you an idea. That's a wow. lot of pages, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it all is. Like, now, yeah. I ask all my guests, could you leave us with a motto or a quote that you like to live life by that inspires you that could maybe inspire them? Um, do what you love, love what you do, and you can do it forever. I think that's a really important one because, um, you know, I guess with umpiring, you know, you can sort of start when you're 13 and you can continue umpiring until you're 70. You can be a goal umpire. So I guess my motto would be, yeah, do what you love, love what you do, and you can do it forever. I think that's really important. Well, we can all do that. Well, thank you so much for chatting to us. I wish you all the luck. Hopefully the waffle isn't as competitive and maybe you can <laughs> officially uh, become a member of the Eagles. Who knows? <laughs> nice. Nice one. Nice one to finish off on, but no, I'm happy to sit 
in the back row and just watch footy for the great spectacle it is and probably cheer on the, the men in green because I understand how tough it is out there for them. <laughs> exactly. Well, thanks again, Dean. Have a good one. No, my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of the Left of Field podcast. I hope you liked that chat with retiring AFL umpire Dean Margetts. Uh, there's been plenty of good episodes, 51 to be exact. So go back and have a listen. Maybe you missed uh, Brad Shepard from the Eagles last week. Uh, he's a good one. Otherwise, stay tuned for next week. I'll be back in your ears again. Uh, goodbye. Goodbye.